Good morning, and welcome to Common Reason Bible Study class. Uh, we're going to try something a little different in our format today, since we still can't meet because of the COVID restrictions. Russell Atkins is here with me this morning. We're going to try a, more of a discussion presentation of our class today, and you were still able to uh, send in questions if you're following us on Facebook. Francesca's here, and she's monitoring the Facebook feed. So if you have questions, you can still put them on the Facebook, and Francesca will monitor those and throw those questions out to us. But let's go ahead and begin class with prayer. Russell, will you open prayer for us? Yes. Hey, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for maintaining the opportunity for us to uh, get together in a small group and to continue to provide the message that you've graced us with, uh, your message, your uh, your gospel. Uh, please ask that you're, you continue to watch over and protect uh, the members of our class uh, that uh, attend individually and in person and those who watch online. Please continue to bless this message and, and continue to use us as your instrument so we can hasten your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are doing lesson number nine in the study guide, How to Interpret Scripture. And the title is Creation Genesis as Foundation Part 2. And if we look at Sunday's lesson to read the first paragraph, it reads, It is commonly believed that many in the ancient world thought the earth was flat. Most people, however, for a variety of good reasons, understood that the earth was round. Even to this day, though, some claim that the Bible itself taught that the earth was flat. And I, I thought, well, let's, let's expand and, and talk about this. First, you know, how was it that people thought the earth was flat historically? It was because they were basing it on their limited physical senses, and then reading the Bible very literally, the angels of the four corner of the earth, not taking that figuratively. And we might understand why the ancient world might do that, but what mystified me was that I discovered recently there are people today who actually believe the earth is flat. In fact, there's a flat earth society. And, and I went to the flat earth society website, and I went down their beliefs. And, and I, I want us to, what we're going to do is we're going to go down the flat earth beliefs website and the foundation and the rationale for their beliefs and we're going to use this as a launching point to demonstrate because how the human mind can distort reality and we're going to identify specific psychological mechanisms or mental gymnastics that people take in order to hold to a belief that doesn't fit with the real world and we're going to apply once we identify the mechanism that is demonstrated in certain flat earth beliefs we're going to then apply that to Christianity and other groups, how they do the same thing with their beliefs. So let's, let's start with that. And this is from the Flat Earth website, and the link is in our, in our notes. Uh, the first belief is simply, though, that they um, are not a joke and they want to be taken seriously. And I think most people, whatever their platform is, um, if they hold their beliefs, they want to be taken seriously. But the, the, their beliefs are based on primarily, and they say this on their website, that a person based on what a person can experience directly with their five senses. Unenhanced, so no telescopes, uh, no satellite imagery, uh, just what you can experience as you stand on Earth. This is your most uh, important source of information to determine whether the Earth is round or flat. Um, what they do is they restrict the evidence that they're willing to utilize in order to form their beliefs. This process is known as selection bias, limiting oneself to a restricted data pool or a limited evidence base 
uh, and filtering out evidences that don't fit with the assumed belief. We see this exact same process of selection bias, limiting evidence, in some people who hold to a very rigid understanding of sola scriptura that we've talked about earlier in this uh, quarterly, in this quarter. Uh, the people who hold to the penal substitution theology, they restrict the evidence they're willing to use to just scripture and all other data, science, real world experiences are excluded for how they see, see, see things because bringing in other data points would overturn the belief. In fact, it was exactly this mechanism, exactly how the flat earth people in the, in the Middle Ages and Dark Ages saw things. They took the scripture literally, would not allow Galileo's information to inform them of what the scripture meant. And so, sola scriptura, no, Galileo, you're wrong. Evolutionists do this when they reject the Bible as a source of reliable information and restrict their evidence pool to only data points that su support their premise. Um, things that they perhaps can measure and test. They also restrict the data, such as the radio halos in the bedrock of the Earth that refutes the... Um, Origins theory of the Big Bang. They, they data point that we're not going to. So it's selection bias. Let's select the information that fits, and let's leave out the other information. Well, that doesn't make sense. We don't know how to explain it, so we're not going to include it. So we see this in a lot of different things. Um, did any examples come to your mind? Uh, yes, the we, selection we, bias. Yeah, we 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 often see it in Adventism when they reject um, the the text in Thessalonians that God. God is bringing those who have uh, died with him to earth, and then the dead are being raised up. They, they, reject, they reject that scripture because it doesn't fit with their preconceived theories and notions about the state of the dead. Oh, that's a good one. Good one. <clears throat> Next, belief in the Flat Earth Society. While the Flat Earth Society is not tied to any specific religion, most, if not all, but the majority of their adherents take a literal interpretation of the Bible. Well, this is known as literalism, concrete thinking, refusing to abstract, refusing to understand symbols and metaphors and parables and figures of speech. Many Christians do this uh, in a variety of different beliefs. The Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. We don't interpret anything, we just take it as it reads. Um, Lazarus, the parable, Lazarus and the rich man, instead of being understood as a parable to teach a larger truth, they take it very literally and believe there are people tortured in hell calling off to people in heaven for relief. Um, God hardening Pharaoh's heart, believing that God was literally acting with divine power from heaven to make Pharaoh hard when Pharaoh truly wanted to repent and worship and love God, but God wouldn't let him. Okay, this type of this type of literalism, um, or there's power in the blood. God killed King Saul. Uh, God, God King will King. Yep. Well, I will kill King Saul. Rather than there's power in the one who shed his blood, but many people then become magical, and and this led this power in the blood thing, and and uh, led to some of the you know relics worship, and and uh, this idea that objects can have power, and the shroud of Turin, and all this other thing becomes into superstitious, irrational thinking because there's power in some molecules of some kind, rather than power in the Creator. So this is known as literalism or concrete thinking or rigid thinking. And sadly, there are many people in the world who have difficulty abstracting. They're very literal. 
uh, in their uh, interpretation and application of Scripture. And life. And life, yeah. Uh, next thing in the Flat Earth Society. They deny humans have ever been to space and claim that the various national space agencies, Russian, Chinese, ours, were created by people in order to embezzle money into the agencies and the people who run them. They were just a mechanism to get billions of dollars channeled to people, but nobody's actually ever been to space. This mechanism is known as denial. And this is a common but primitive defense mechanism, uh, classically used in addicts who deny they have an addiction, who deny that they have a, oh, I can handle it, I can stop anytime I want. It's also used in relationships of abuse on both sides. The victim who's being abused deny they're being abused. Oh, he really loves me. He only did this because I did that. Or, uh, he really does care for me, deny. And the person abusing denies, oh, I only do it because I love them. So there's in this great sense of denial going on, this classic in those types of relationships. Relationships. Scientists do this when they constantly deny evidence that refutes a godless theory of origins, the genetic evidence that proves Darwin's theory of mutation over millions of years wrong, proven, uh, or the um, complexity of the DNA information that's coded in the DNA. Uh, there is no explanation that that could have come about on its own. It's just contrary to, to how a universe runs, but they deny that evidence because it doesn't fit their model. Religious groups that deny evidence that expose various beliefs that they hold as sacrosanct in their particular view, the most important one for our ministry that we're trying to expose is the idea that God's law functions like human law. This is an assumed truth, but it's actually a lie. But it leads to all the real bad distortions about God and ultimately leads us down the trail where we end up worshiping a false view of God. But others that you can think of. Uh, not, denial. Not, not politically correct. Uh, not politically correct. Well, you know, we see this t- denial all the time, but notice the mechanism. Selection bias, okay? Um, literalism or concrete thinking, denial. Okay, here's the, here's the next belief. And every one of their beliefs has got some distortion in order to hold this. It's very interesting. It's, very, it's actually quite informative if you look at it. They argue that photographic and video evidence from weather balloons, aircraft, satellites can be easily doctored and altered. Therefore, such evidence is not reliable and cannot be accepted. Now, this is a mechanism of taking a fact or a truth and applying it in a false application to create a lie. The truth. Photographic and video evidence can be altered. That's true. That's the truth. But they apply it to photographs and video without ever demonstrating that the photographs or video in question has been altered. Just because it can be doesn't mean it was, but that's left out. Since it can be, we just paint the entire videographic and photographic evidence as altered or manufactured by Hollywood. Therefore, we don't accept any video or photographic evidence. It's all fraudulent. This is taking a truth and creating a false application to create a lie. Christians do this in a variety of ways. They take facts or truths and apply them falsely. Fact. Christians are to live by faith in God. That's true. False application. Having faith means we don't ask questions. 
We don't ask questions. We don't require evidence. We just believe on declarations and claims. That's a false application. You see, God has all truth. God wants us to believe because all the truth supports him. Satan has no truth. So Satan wants us to believe on claims and proclamations. So this false application creates a false understanding that leads us to be set up to believe lies. But Satan will use truth in order to create a lie. Like like this is exactly exactly, right. Exactly. Methodologies of the devil. That's exactly right. Here's another fact that Christians will use. We are to trust the Bible as the inspired word of God. That's true. That's a fact. False application. We are not to use reason, but take the Bible just as it reads. Not to reason it out. Okay, concretely. So it's a false application. Scientists do this in a variety of ways as well. Take a truth. Here's a fact. Carbon-14 decays at a fixed rate. You can miss 5,200 some years. False application. We can accurately date uh, organic uh, uh, items by measuring the remaining amount of carbon-14. No, we can't because it's based on the assumption that carbon-14 in the atmosphere has always been constant. And we don't have that evidence, that piece of, what was the amount of carbon-14 in the atmosphere 5,000 years ago? We don't have that evidence. It's an assumed fact that, so we take a fact of truth. This is the decay rate of carbon-14. Very, we can accept that. But application creates a false narrative that things are appearing many, many, many years older than they actually are. Then we might come back and visit that again later in the lesson if we get time. Well, actually, uh, can we even assume the, the, the rate of decay is constant? The rate of decay is based on the, the uh, cosmic radiation hitting the carbon, isn't it? Well, we're gonna, yeah, we're, yeah, that's a good point, too. That's a good point. And, um, and we can't assume that was constant based on yeah, the atmosphere. That, that's, that's exactly right. And uh, so that's another, that's another good variable. And if we have time, it comes up in the lesson again, both of those points, and maybe we'll unpack those later. But, yes, the point being is the current measured, and we can have accurate. This is the current decay rate. We can have accurate. That's, that's a fact. Current decay rate measured. That's what it is. But it doesn't mean we can apply it the way they're applying it. It can create a false narrative or a false conclusion. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen this uh, recently with the entire projections on the COVID deaths. Um, Fauci and Burks repeatedly said all of our models are only as good as the assumptions they're based upon. They weren't based on proven facts. They were based on assumed facts, assumed data, which can lead to many false conclusions, which are really starting to be demonstrated to be true. You have a question? Is somebody coming? Yeah. So, James, we miss you, James. Is it the science or the scientists that distort reality? But I think you've answered. Yes, that. it's the, 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 the facts are what the facts are, but how they're applied are being by people. So that would be the application that makes the distortion. And then I have a comment from Linda. We miss you, too. And mm-hmm. I've had conversations where people really miss our interaction at the courthouse. She said, Isaiah forty twenty two says, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers he stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in so there's there's a text that would give the um you know the perspective of the earth being a circle there's also one in job that talks about the earth um, being a circle or a sphere okay so so far we've identified multiple cognitive distortions and what happens when you deny evidence you have a selection bias you are a concrete thinker and um, are there and, any- and and you then um, take facts and 
turn them into applications that are not true. When you do all of that, then you get beliefs like this. You get false beliefs. They believe that the Earth is a flat disk with, an ar- uh, with the Arctic Circle, North Pole, being at the center of the disk, and the sun revolves around the disk, and are, on the outer edge of the disk are massive sheets of ice that keep the oceans in, and the governments have agents at those sheets of ice to prevent anybody from climbing them to see the edge of the Earth. Okay? Y- you see, you get irrational beliefs when you uh, do all these cognitive distortions. Another one, they deny gravity exists, and instead what we perceive as gravity is uh, a centrifugal force. They claim that the disk is in a constant state of acceleration, and the constant state of acceleration, meaning it's moving faster and faster and faster through space, okay, with the, with the sun with it circling. And that acceleration, like when you take a bucket on a rope and swing it around, okay, um, that acceleration is centrifugal force that we falsely conclude is gravity. That's part of their, uh, but, the result of employing multiple g- mental gymnastics, selection bias, distortion, denial, false application of facts, forming all these distorted beliefs, Christianity does this in many places. God is the source of pain and suffering. These are the false beliefs because of the same gymnastics applied within Christianity. Here's some of the false beliefs. God is the source of pain, suffering, and death. But it's called justice when God does it. Human beings have immortal souls. God wasn't wise enough to not create human beings with immortal souls, so therefore uh, there was a place of eternal torment that God oversees called hell. God killed Jesus on the cross in order to satisfy his wrath. God requires the payment of a human sacrifice in order for him not to wait uh, um, in order for him to forgive us. These all these are all distortions based on using the same cognitive methods that the flat earthers use. Scientists do this in many places. There is no God. Life came from non-living matter all on its own, spontaneous generation. Just or- a rock one day and slime one day, just whatever, um, started making life on its own. Complexity and organization occur spontaneously all on their own without any intelligent input. They have the same irrational beliefs because they deny reality. They distort things. They make false applications. Same, same methods. Any examples of projection, the the defense mechanism of projection that you noted in the flat Earth and and dovetailing with Christianity? I didn't see that one. Okay, yeah. Here's here, so when flat Earthers are asked, how is it that other planets that we can see with telescopes from Earth, okay, other planets we can see are spheres and, and not round disks? Their answer is that other planets are not Earth, and a flat Earth does not require other planets to be flat. Ah. <laughs> I want to have dinner with some of these people. <laughs> okay. So Christians, notice, Christians do the same thing. They do the exact same thing. When a question or evidence is presented that doesn't fit their model, they will go, well, God's ways are not our ways. We just take that on faith and we just accept that. In other words, they just discount it completely. What what they did is just discounting it. Okay? It doesn't apply here. Well, that doesn't apply because we know that this is what this means, so that doesn't apply. Yeah, that's denying 500 years of tradition. Exactly, exactly. So, the Bible teaches how reality works. There is truth, and there are lies. Each of us are to be fully persuaded in our own mind, according to Romans 14.5. If we choose to reject the truth, 
the only thing left for the mind to rest upon is a lie. And with each subsequent rejection of truth, we go further and further down the trail of moving away from reality into delusional belief systems. I'm going to tell you, believing in a flat earth is delusional. It's a delusion. It's not real. And this, this, and this is why the, this bears repeating. I mean, this this is foundational. That when you reject truth or you reject light, the only thing left is lies and darkness. Right. And so it doesn't matter on what subject. And whatever truth you had. Here in Chattanooga, it's a beautiful, clear day. We can go out and we can see the sky is blue. We can take an instrument and we can measure the wavelength of light being refracted off of the uh, atmosphere. And I can give you that's blue, and here's its exact wavelength mm-hmm. of visible light. But people are still free to reject it. They can say, I don't believe that. Nope, nope, it's yellow. Nope, nope. But if once they reject the truth, that's not blue. It doesn't matter what they pick. Brown, green, orange, pink, red. It doesn't matter what they pick. Once they reject truth, the only thing left is light on any subject matter. This is what it means in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11. The rise of the deviant one will be accompanied by manifestations of Satan's methods and power, counterfeit miracles and signs and wonders, and anything else that deceives and darkens the minds of those who are dying, those who did not develop minds that love the truth, and thereby did not partake the remedy. Because they reject the truth, God leaves them to their delusional world built on lies. And that's where we are. God's words of truth. He presents truth, 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 truth. You're free. Accept it, embrace it, grow, and you get more truth. But you can't advance in truth until you accept the truth you have. Remember one of our online listeners recently sent in that, that insight that we shared about thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Mm. And think about how lamps work when you're advancing down a path of life. Lamps enlighten you a few steps. But you've got to take those steps before you see the next steps. And if you don't take those steps, you're limited in how far you can see. But as you advance in what you can see, the lamp enlightens you more. The truth about God enlightens us as we move down the road of light and embrace and apply it. But if we don't, if we say, no, I'm not going to go down the path where the light is, I'm going to go, you're left in darkness. This is what happens to many people. They've never trained their mind to think for themselves to weigh evidences, to critically reason. Instead, and, and, and instead, they look for others to give them the answer, and this enfeebles the mind. In so, accordance with the law of exertion. And with the law of exertion. If you want something strong, get exercise it. So let's talk a little bit about critical reasoning. The more complex an issue, the more easily for people to find themselves believing false theories. The more complex, the more easy. The more complex the issue, the more information, the more facts, the more data points are needed to have a clear understanding, an accurate understanding of the issue. Consider a jigsaw puzzle with 10,000 pieces. And somebody gives you 12 of those pieces and asks you to tell you what the picture is. (laughs) Can you already see that would be difficult? I've got 12 pieces. 150 pieces. I've got 150, 10,000, I've got 150 pieces. 300 pieces. You see where I'm going with this. Now, the person with 300 pieces is going to have a better chance than the person with 12. The more pieces of data, accuracy increases the more data, facts, evidence that we include in our picture. That's why the Bible is to be taken as a whole. 
This is the problem with Christian theologies. Many of the doctrines, conclusions, teachings in Christianity are formed with limited data, not using all the pieces. Martin Luther, the great reformer, who was the originator and creator of penal substitution theology, only accepted 62 books of the Bible. He rejected, as inspired, Revelation, Jude, James, and Hebrews. Think that through. What do we get in Revelation, Jude, James, and Hebrews? We get the great controversy. We get a war in heaven. We get a high priest that's working to heal our hearts and minds and transform us and write the law on the heart and mind. It moves completely away from a penal legal model into a healing restoration model, which Martin Luther did not have. Many Christians today limit their... So I'm going to suggest you penal substitution is wrong, okay? It is not reality. It's based on imperial human law rather than design law, and it's based on just taking pieces here and there of the inspired record and rejecting or excluding pieces that don't fit. Uh, Many Christians uh, today split the Bible into two halves, the Old Dispensation and the New Dispensation, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they don't include the entire Bible. They don't see one whole story. A human race that became contaminated with sin in a terminal state and God promising in Genesis a Messiah who's going to fix the problem. And the entire Bible story is the story of the battle between the forces of heaven and the forces of Satan for the Messiah's coming to fix the sin problem and save mankind. That's the whole story. They don't see that. They actually see, I hear, I hear on Christian radio. It's unbelievable to me. Theology professors at different institutions, world-recognized, teaching that in the Old Testament times, people were saved by animal blood. They had to sacrifice animals in order to have their sins taken care of. It's ridiculous. It was only metaphor. It was symbol. This is an example of that concrete literalism we were talking about earlier. Not being able to abstract and apply a symbol to the larger reality. It was only because of faith in Christ. Abraham was saved by faith, not by animal sacrifices. I, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I just drove across the country twice, out okay. to Arizona and back, and driving through middle America, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Panhandle of Texas, New Mexico, one of the one of the few stations on, on that you can get on radio are these preachers, the, these Protestant and charismatic preachers. And they were saying the exact thing, the exact thing you're saying, saved by animal sacrifice, God, the, the, the only thing you need to know about God is he's sovereign and, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's the same legal penal stuff day yep. after day, weekday, Sunday, didn't matter all yep. the time. Yep. No, this is exactly right. So this type of thinking, uh, limited piece of data, distorted picture of reality. And that's where Christianity is today. The Jews, of course, deny the entire New Testament, and thus they have limited their understanding, and they have a distorted understanding of reality. Many Christians refuse the integrative evidence-based approach, and they only include the Bible in a literal way and refuse to harmonize with science and experience. Others who do value Scripture don't include all 66. Or maybe they do say, I value all 66, but then they pick and choose a text here, a text there, and they don't include the text that don't support the view. So thus, they dissect the Bible up to only include the text that support their view. Another way 
to distort the picture. We've got a 10,000-piece puzzle. We want to get the best accurate picture of what it is. We need all the pieces. Another way to distort it, though, is to bring in pieces from another puzzle that aren't even part of this puzzle and include them into our puzzle. Okay? And this is what the Muslims and the Mormons do with the Book of Mormon and the, and the Koran. Now, they, they've got all this new supposed, and this is what people do with the Apocrypha and the Pseudopigrapha. And uh, some of these, uh, they bring this in, and then suddenly the, the whole uh, picture begins to distort in a different way. We at Come and Reason Ministries want to include all the evidence God has given. So all 66 books of scripture, plus the evidence he's revealed in science and nature, plus the evidences of real life experiences, harmonizing them together to get the most accurate picture. And this is what we present. We present the Bible as one story of the great controversy between good and evil and God's plan to reveal truth and heal the human species from the problem that became came about when Adam chose to break trust with God. Then all the evidence, together we have the most accurate pictures of truth, of reality, always remaining open, because we're finite beings, to have our current view updated as new God-given pieces of information come in to our puzzle. In other words, we don't lock into a certain doctrine and reject unfolding truth because it wasn't there when we formed our opinion. We must also recognize, though, when we look at the actual threads of evidence, God-given threads of evidence, some pieces of evidence hold more value than other pieces of evidence. Foundational pieces of evidence, we call these touchstones, or, or um, barometers, or, or yardsticks, or measuring sticks, pieces of evidence of which the other God-given evidence must be measured against. Or the border pieces of the puzzle. The border, or the border of the puzzle. That's another way. These are the border pieces. It doesn't go outside the border. That's usually the first thing that gets assembled. I love that. The first thing you assemble, isn't it true, the border? And the border pieces are God's design laws. If you don't understand God's design laws then you interpret things that go outside of them, and you're outside of the picture that God is giving us. And the law of liberty, the law of love, the law of exertion, the law of worship, these are design laws. And and so many people have interpretations of Scripture that take God outside of the design laws and have God violating the law of liberty, which destroys love. So this is great. Um, so the design laws are the yardsticks and measure. And another one is we always must take Jesus... As fully God. One of the other attacks that Jesus is a barometer. Jesus is a touchstone. You come back to Jesus over and over again. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one, Jesus said. But in the theologies in this world that deny the triune God, Jesus is not fully God. He's a demigod. He's a created God. He's an offspring God. He came later. He, he's just an angel. He and so, Lucifer were brothers. Uh, he and Lucifer were brothers. Any type of distortion about the divinity of Christ changes the incomplete picture. Because now we actually don't know about God anymore. Or what we know becomes very bad. Mm. See, we don't know whether if we were to curse God, spit on him, crucify him, whether he would still love and forgive us. We know Jesus would. We don't know whether God would. What we do know is that God, in the view that Jesus is not fully God, it says this. Well, the one who's God is willing to sacrifice somebody else to protect himself. But we don't know whether he would sacrifice himself to protect us. And that's the heart of it, right there. Yeah. When Jesus is fully God, then we realize, hey, 
the one with all the power, the creator, he is of such a nature, such a character, such holiness, such purity, such love, that even if we were to try to kill him, he would not use his power to stop us. He would sacrifice himself for us. That is a God you can trust. But we only get there if Jesus is fully God. Anything that un- So Jesus is a touchstone. And there are attacks on the Trinity that are trying to undermine the divinity of Christ, which changes the entire narrative and changes the entire picture. And most of the time, it's because they're already starting at a false narrative, human law model. The problem is that we're in trouble with the deity. We need somebody to pay the penalty. Jesus came to live a sinful life, and he did that in order to pay God. It wasn't really to, sh- to reveal God. It was just to, to, uh, to a- achieve the payment necessary God needed. That type of thing, which is all distorted. So why is it necessary for every person to fully be fully persuaded in their own mind? Well, what happens if a person believes something because someone else told them, but they haven't actually been fully persuaded? What happens? Two things. One of two things. Either they don't really believe it, they just conform, which means they're being dishonest in heart, and they're really ready to rebel. At the, as soon as they feel they can be free to rebel. Or, if they're not settled, but they actually genuinely do, they're a true believer, they believe it, but they don't have a reason why. They believe it because the person they love told them, and they trust them. And so I believe them because someone so told me. But they don't have any reason why. They are vulnerable to be converted to a new belief by a charismatic, dynamic speaker or presenter, or somebody else that comes along that wins their trust. Their belief is not based on evidence, facts, understanding reality. They're based on trusting some other person. So just win their trust, and you can get them to believe something new. So they remain vulnerable. Those individuals will be quite vulnerable to being deceived in the end. What's another another problem that's for for those who believe the truth because someone else in authority gave them the truth, and it is the truth. It's like the person who has a math teacher who gives them the right answers, and they memorize the right answers, and they know the right answers. They are the right answers to these particular problems, but they have no idea how to do math. Many Christians are raised in Christian homes and indoctrinated with a certain doctrinal system of belief, and they might have the right belief about baptism or a state of the dead or some doctrine, but they have no idea why that's the right belief and the implications of what it means. And when we understand the truth and why it's that way, then we can reason our way through other problems that are new and, and we haven't been given the answer for. Uh, Monday's lesson, very interesting in Monday's lesson, the narrative uh, is about a non-biblical ancient creation narrative, and we're going to read points number one and two, the Atrahasis or Hasis um, narrative. And it goes, uh, here, here's what the lesson reads. In Atrahasis, uh, man works for the gods so that the gods can rest. In Genesis, God created the earth and everything in it for humans as the apex of creation, and then he rests with them. In Genesis, humans also are placed in the garden and invited to commune with God and care for his creation, a concept not found in Atrahasis. The Atrahasis, in Atrahasis, a minor god is killed and his blood is mixed with clay to form seven males and females. In Genesis, um, first Adam is formed intimately by God who breathes life into him and a woman uh, is made later to, uh, to be his helper. God didn't create Adam and Eve from the blood of a slain god. So the lesson points out some critical differences between this um, creation narrative and, and the Genesis narrative. Uh, when we understand the difference between design law and imposed law, 
This narrative of Atrahasis is clearly satanic. It is Satan's system and methods completely. Yeah, I had never heard of this um, Atrahasis before. Um, maybe you want to give some background to the... I've never heard of it before either. Oh, yeah? No, oh, no. Okay. It's, it's in the lesson. So they brought it up, and they Got found it. it some okay. archaeological ancient uh, culture. Some, some had manuscripts. This. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not really important where it came from. It's okay. just, yeah. So, um, so the, but, but the point is, what they teach, the teaching of that doctrine is clearly satanic. Yes. And, and the satanic ver- version, imposed law versus design law. Notice that in, in this account, it has humans working so the gods can rest. And the gods ultimately use power and force, including death, in order to bring forth life. This is exactly the opposite of God's kingdom of love, in which God gives of himself for the good and uplifting of his creation, and uh, provides rest for us. Come to me, the labor heavy laden, I will give you rest. And he is the one who destroys death and brings life and immortality to life. So the biblical worldview, we understand that there are two antagonistic forces, God and his kingdom of love, truth, and freedom, at war with Satan and his kingdom of fear-driven self-centeredness, deceit, and coercion. From the beginning of Satan's rebellion in heaven, read Isaiah 14, 13, and 14, Satan put his methods into play, and his position was, I will ascend to the Most High, I will roll from from the heights of the north, I will govern over. Domination, over, rule, over. God's methods, Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, but humbled himself in the form of a servant, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the likeness of humanity, and humbled himself, became obedient to death. In other words, here we have God's method as self-sacrificial love in order to heal and restore and uplift. Satan's method is domination over. So I will be served versus I will serve. Yes, exactly. When we see the difference of this contrast between the biblical Genesis account and the Atrahasis epic, you see those two methods contra- just completely in contrast. But many have failed to see the same problem in Christianity in the world today. The three monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, have all three been infected with the idea that God's law works like human law, imperial rules requiring a ruling authority to oversee and inflict punishment. This has led to the false idea that sin is a legal problem, et cetera, et cetera, we've talked about. Every government in human history based on Satan's, or is, is based on Satan's methods, which is ru- a ruling elite, an aristocracy, a small percentage of people exploiting the masses for the good of the ruling elite. It's accomplished through imposing rules and punishing those who don't pay their taxes or give their children into the slavery or whatever, and also bribes and rewards to those who serve you well. And I want to make this clear. Sin and evil, sin and evil are two different things. Sin is a condition. Sinful is a condition of being out of harmony. We're born in sin, conceived in iniquity. We have fear and, and, and self-centeredness that tempt us. That's sinfulness. Evil, on the other hand, is not the mere sin condition, not the mere condition of struggling with fear, struggling with selfishness, struggling with addictions and lust. That's the sin condition. Evil is the intentional and purposeful choice to embrace selfishness and choose to exploit, abuse, injure, harm, dominate others. And it's recognizable as all activities that thwart other people's paths towards growth, development, enlightenment, and ultimately salvation in Jesus Christ. 
Okay, so I'm, I'm, put, I'm laying this out so you can see the methods, the differences here. This particular creation model is founded on the domination of a few. The, 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 the created beings serve for them, and we kill in order to get what we want. That's the, the Satan model. That's the model of the human governments. So activities of Satan have influenced, are, are influenced by him demoralize, degrade, injure, harm, undermine. Whereas activities of God uplift, ennoble, restore, set free. Okay? We can watch for that. So let's think of some samples in society today. Well, let's maybe start first with church. Examples in church in which methods are having the impact of degrading, diminishing, shutting down thinking, reasoning, uh, uh, damaging the mind, and so forth and so on indoctrination rather than teaching how to think and reason. Believing under coercion, threats from God. You better believe this or God will punish you in hell. You better believe this or you're going to be um, you know, disfellowshipped from the church or you will have, uh, et cetera, coercion or threat. How about if we think about organizational structure and how truth works? The papal hierarchical system where you have a supreme leader, a ruling elite, a ruling elite who makes up rules, and they, the the um, the the College of Cardinals who determine what is orthodoxy belief, and then they impose that belief on the system, and everybody is expected to comply and accept the belief from on high, or else they will have their salvation threatened. They won't be able to take part in the sacraments, etc., etc., etc. It's all based on authority and in position and control, and they are and they are expected to support the ruling elites through their offerings and so forth. Versus the model of various Protestant organizations, including the uh, the Adventist Church, which was initially set up where the power was held by the local membership in a local church, and it was set up this way because this is how truth unfolds. Think about this, people. Any truth that has ever been discovered in human history, did it happen this way? One morning, people woke up and the whole world understood the new truth. Is that how it works on any truth? Whether it's a scientific truth, a medical truth, a, a truth about new borders in a country, uh, discovering the, the new earth uh, uh, from, from, the, from the, the new world, from the old world. Uh, is, is, is truth work this way in any? No. Here's how it happens. One or a few people discover a new insight. A new truth. They begin to share it. That truth is initially, typically, resisted. Yeah, the earth is round. <laughs> like the earth is round was resisted, opposed. It's a good one. Germ theory, another good one. Resisted, opposed. But because it's actually true, once the question is out there, once the evidence begins to come in, more and more people begin to see the evidence supports the truth, and over a period of time, the truth spreads to more and more people, and the lie is eventually extinguished from society. That's how society advances the truth. That's how the churches do advance. And so the, the, the system of, of some churches were set up to allow the local authority and local membership so that when an individual comes up with a new idea, a new truth, it can be studied in that local group. And if it's true, they'll have more people believe it, share it with local churches with them, more of them will believe it, conferences will then believe it, and then unions will believe it, and then divisions will believe it, and then a world church will get together, and the majority of the world church has come to accept it, then the church's position changes. It's bottom-up spread of truth. But when you have hierarchy that determines what's true, 
And sadly, within the Adventist organization, there's movements for there to shift from the historic way, which op- keeps keeps the church open for truth. And if, if a lie comes in, and there's been lies that try to come in, it never takes root because in this system, uh, it never spreads because it seemed to be a lie. So it never really takes hold in the organization. It's been uh, I can give many examples of that throughout the history. But what happens when you get a hierarchical organization and a group get together, a ruling elites, the Theological Research Institute or something, gets together and they in committee decide this is orthodoxy, this is what we need to believe, then they pass that in some committee, make it a rule, and then members that come along and question it, well, that's heresy. You don't believe what the church teaches. You're not really a a true member of this church. You should be expelled from this church. And what happens is they start kicking people out who would be sources of, of inspirational truth that would lead the church forward in truth. And that's part of the problem, and that's what we, we see happening as well. They first coerce them with the threat of a loss of job or loss of income, loss of status. If they're employed by the church. If they're if they're yeah, if they're employed by the church. So so but this is a way that shuts down thinking and stagnates the human growth and the development of the organization. God's methods always seek to uplift. You can see the freedom and the openness to allow truth to and ideas to be discussed without reprisal allows for the most um, most positive advancement. So when God's principles are active, people gain autonomy, ability, capability, the principle of truth, love, and freedom. Leave people to think for themselves, uh, weigh the various, uh, con- uh, various ideas, and come to um, evidence-based conclusions. This is why Jesus said, My kingdom is... Not of this world, because every human government has always ended up with a few ruling elites exploiting the masses, an aristocracy. Ancient Egyptians with their pharaohs, China with their emperors and empresses, Japan with the shoguns leading to its emperor, um, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the, the nation states of Europe, the papal powers, all of these ruling aristocracies exploiting the masses. When the U.S. government was set up, it was specifically set up by enlightened people that understood this problem and put into the founding documents a system that was designed to diffuse power away from ruling elites into the hands of the mass. So the mass of people would hold the power in order to prevent this satanic type of domination, control, and exploitation. Decentralization of power to three branches, legislative, executive, judicial, the Congress was limited in its ability to remove a president except for specific crimes that were specified in the documents because the founders did not want the United States to have a parliament in which the prime minister serves at the behest of the parliament and can be recalled at any moment. They wanted him to actually be empowered to act and have power to, to, uh, to uh, spread the power into the different and branches. Co- co-equal branches. Co-equal branches, yeah. Executive branch. An electoral college rather than a simple majority vote in order, to, again, to decentralize power away from uh, simply, get, let's get 51% of the people, uh, and as soon as it's a simple majority, then the minority will always end up being trampled upon, and it was designed to protect from that. Separation of church and state, because of seeing the abuses of the merging of those two organizations and trying to enforce religious dogmas on people violated the law of liberty and hurt people. So they didn't want that. Um, The right of the citizenry to bear arms. Purposely written into the Constitution, not primarily to protect from the grizzly bear or the robber, but to protect from an abusive government. Tyrannical government. A tyrannical government was designed to limit the power of the government, to give power to the people to resist the government. That was the purpose of that article. And to put teeth into the First Amendment, the free speech and free press. That's right. and, And freedom of religion. 
the right to a free and independent press you just mentioned, which was intended to investigate and expose corruption in government. Its primary purpose was to expose uh, government corruption and inform the people of it so the people, through their power of the vote, could remove corrupt officials and put in other officials. This was its purpose. The right to privacy, including no search and seizure without warrant, given the citizenry more power of privacy and limiting the power of the government. The right to not self-incriminate. That if the government asks you a question, you're not obligated to answer that question. If it incriminates you, you can. Uh, the government has the burden to actually demonstrate and prove any type of crime against Presumption you. Presumption of innocence. Presumption of innocence. An educated citizenry was one of the expectations when the founding documents were put that the people would be informed and educated so they can make informed, intelligent decisions. Um, requirement of the elections every two years for the House and six for the Senate and four for the President to turn over and replace so there wouldn't be an established, lifelong aristocracy of Political politicians. Class. Okay, And then high hurdles to change the system. Now, if we believe in the biblical worldview, then we anticipate that the U.S. Constitution, with, it, with its protections of liberty and the diffusion of power into the hands of the people and the masses will be attacked and will be eroded, and eventually a aristocracy or a ruling authority will take charge in America and the world, which will persecute and abuse people of conscience. That is an inevitability. In order to get there, the Constitution has to be undermined. Now, what I'm about to do is I'm going to list some examples of how the U.S. Constitution and the protections of liberty are being eroded, and I want you to observe a method of Satan. One of Satan's methods, identify it, see it, look for it. And this is one of his strategies. He, the source of evil, will inspire some abuse, some evil, in society, in a group. And then use the outrage against that evil to bring a solution to stop that evil that actually undermines liberties and takes away constitutional freedoms. This is a strategy. Let's do something wrong, and let's get people's response, and they won't even see. They think they're doing good when they're actually setting up for a totalitarian state. And this has been going on ever since the inception of the Constitution. The Civil War in the United States strengthened the federal government and weakened states' rights. That's what what happened. But it was to to address a specific evil. Despite its positive effect of eliminating slavery. Slavery is evil. Civil War got rid of that evil, but simultaneously diminished state liberties and increased the power of the federal government. Ever-increasing gun regulations, making law-abiding citizens more dependent and, to, uh, and vulnerable to the state. Despite the intended positive goal to reduce gun violence in society. We have gun violence and evil in society. Let's do something to, to stop it. And what do we do? We'll take away the liberties of law-abiding citizens in order to do it. The movement of media organizations toward promoting certain agendas rather than presenting facts. Despite their goal of wanting to improve society, they may believe that this agenda is going to make a better society. Their goal might be to prevent global warming or something, okay? Uh, so they may have an altruism, but, but they have corrupted themselves. Because without objective facts, 
the citizenry is misinformed and therefore cannot make appropriate decisions for who they want to represent them. The erosion of the right of privacy, the FISA courts, the Patriot Act, ever-increasing camera monitoring in America where you are constantly being surveilled and monitored and, and massive computers are constantly assessing and digitizing and our electronic monitoring, our email monitoring, our online activities, our, our telephone monitoring, so much monitoring constantly going on despite the goal to protect us from terrorism. Terrorism and evil. Let's respond to that. And what do we do? We respond by moving further and further into your privacy and well, taking your privacy. We've gone so far down that road that people are voluntarily giving yep. it. Here, here's, our, here's my social media information. Yep. Here's my opinion on everything. Just, I'm just pointing out a process, folks, because this is an inevitability. If you believe Scripture, this is an inevitable path that's going to happen. Federal income tax, which was not in the Constitution. <laughs> in fact, it was against the founders. They didn't <clears> want that which shifts economic power from the individuals to the federal government and from the states to the federal government. Despite the goal to protect the nation from foreign powers or provide social services. Uncoupling the dollar from the gold standard and the creation of the Federal Reserve, which further moves economic power away from people devaluing the dollars and the savings that you have, giving power to the one who has the printing press and can print it whenever they need it, despite the stated goal to stabilize the economy. Huge government bureaucracies with layers of regulations and restrictions that restrict freedom and liberty, despite the goal to protect from abuse and exploitation, like pollution and other types of abuse and exploitation. That's just one example, but many of types of things. Like, when I grew up, we drove around in cars with the kids just standing in the middle seat on the front seat on a bench seat. <laughs> that's right. I mean, come on. That's how we grew up. I don't know. We shouldn't have that. We should all be dead. It's not possible to survive unless you have a child restraint seat and some uh, you know, nanny state monitoring everything you do. True. But, again, good goal. Kids are protected. That's a good goal. But what happens, we pass laws and regulations that restrict the freedoms to make decisions. Government determination of what businesses are essential and what are not essential during the COVID pandemic. Despite the goal of protecting citizens from disease and death. The stated goal. The stated goal. Yeah. That is the goal that justified it. Yeah, some may have other goals. Mm-hmm. So did you notice that every one of these erosions of liberties and freedoms was to move against some evil? I want to sensitize you to be discerning, to watch things that are happening in our world and our society. The mindset, how about this, the mindset of an ever-increasing social progressives And all socialism governments and communist governments throughout history always present some some evil, poverty, economic equality, the inability to afford education, um, uh, something that's wrong that we need to fix it, and yet their solutions always end up with a ruling elite. The communist governments, look at those governments, folks. Those are a ruling elite. Socialist governments. And this always happens. Because they take freedoms in order to enforce 
their utopian understanding. False narratives of a controlling God who restricts liberty in Christianity. Uh, uh, th- these false narratives in, in Christianity? See, some Christians will do the same thing. They see what they perceive as an evil. Abortion. Homosexual marriage. Let's get a hold of government. And let's force uh, people to comply to our understanding of good. Let's stop this evil. It's the same satanic system of control. And that's the trick of the devil. God's methods, truth, presented in love. We convert. We don't coerce. Question. Yes, it's from Gary. Do you agree that a distortion is that the mark of the beast is the day of worship, whereas reality is that the mark is one's understanding of the character of God and how he governs the universe? And other people have commented that these are beastly, like what you're talking about are beastly. So So what's beastly is coercion. That's what's beastly. If you read historic Adventist documents, the historic documents talk about Sunday becoming a mark of the beast when it's enforced by government under threat of imprisonment. So it actually is not about the day. It is about the method used to force it upon people that's beastly. And so if, in fact, the government was controlled by Jewish people or Adventist people and we began passing laws to imprison people who didn't close their businesses on the Saturday Sabbath, that would be equally beastly. So what happens when we have concrete literalism that we talked about earlier is people hear that this day can be used in this way and thus become a mark of the beast. Imperialism, remember the day became a day of worship by legislation, thus it represents imperialism, and imperialism is always enforced by coercion, and that's when it becomes the beastly system, when it coerces people, okay? But people get very literal, and they don't understand the actual function of God's principles of truth and love, and they don't understand the function of Satan's government of coercion and imperialism, and so they just want the, the day. Well, if you go to church on that day, you got to No, you don't. That's not it. It's methods that we use in how we treat other people, and thus that day can potentially become that mark of that of, uh, of the beastly system if it's ultimately used to coerce and uh, a force of coercion. Any other questions? Yes, I have one more. Yeah. Thank you. It's from Kimberly. What would you say to someone who asks why we believe some parts of the Bible have been translated inaccurately through a penal law lens, but other parts that reflect design law have been rendered rendered accurately. So I would first say, tell me what parts you... you give me the examples of the parts that you think. <laughs> right. Uh, I will tell you, uh, historically, all Bible trans... And I would say, start with the translators. Start with the people who did the translation. How many Bibles were translated um, before Constantine converted? None! Okay. It's Constantine converted, and the entire Christian world, um, be, and Paul prophesied that this was going to happen in Thessalonians, that this man of lawlessness was going to rise, and he was going to set himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. He's telling us lawlessness against God's design laws, and thus the church accepted imperialism. And after this became embedded, understood, assumed orthodoxy, then translations came along. How many translators, and you should go back and just simply ask, how many translators, you can inquire if if they're still alive, how do you believe God's law functions? You will find that the people that translated believe God's law functions like human law. It's a system of rules he has to enforce. That's what justice looks like. And so it is inevitable, it's unavoidable, that this type of distortion gets 
um, translated over. So I would just simply say, that's what it reveals. That's fact. That's reality. It's not some part. It's the entire scripture gets done that way. Um, wow, that yeah. class went by fast today. Do you notice with Russell here, we didn't do all the days? We only got like through two days? <laughs> You're welcome. Yes. You're yes. Welcome. <laughs> so, alrighty. It's just like usual. Alrighty. So let's go ahead and close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are such an amazing creator, God of truth, love, freedom. We ask that you will continue to enlighten us and transform us and enable us to go out and be effective witnesses to help free minds. There are good-hearted people out there, Lord, that really, really love you, but they also struggle because they've been told things that don't make sense, which causes a lot of uncertainty and uneasiness in their hearts and minds. We pray that you will enable us and open up opportunities to help free them from those distortions, that they can really step further into the beauty of your character of love. We pray in your holy name. Amen.